Welcome to the Brood Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, plug in your headphones, and let's have a conversation. I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, you're going to get to hear a fantastic conversation with my uh, good friend, Amanda Clark. And we're just going to be having a conversation about her own journey in uh, wrestling with the role of women in the church, uh, and especially in leadership in the church. I know that this can be sometimes a controversial topic, uh, which I don't think it needs to be, but I know that there's a lot of differing opinions and interpretations when it comes to this, but I think that you will really enjoy uh, what she has to say and talking about her own journey and uh, how she got there and that it's not always just a complete cut and dry black and white situation. And so I hope that you come into this conversation regardless of what your stance is with an open mind and an open heart and that you will come away with uh not necessarily a better understanding, but maybe better understanding where she's coming from. And also she gives a lot of good information uh, and a lot of good sources where you can start and uh, just kind of do some of your own research and uh, dig in a little bit more yourself on this issue. So, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I have been taught different things throughout my life as well. And we all have. So, uh, just come into this with an open mind and uh, come away with your own decisions, whatever they may be. But I think that, that you'll really enjoy this conversation and uh, just be able to get a different perspective of someone's own processing and their own journey with their own relationship with God. And that it wasn't just a emotional choice, but it was something that was wrestled with uh, in their relationship with God and uh, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So... I hope you enjoy this conversation and uh, stick around and we will talk to you at the end of the episode. Hey everybody, thanks for coming uh, back to the podcast. I'm excited to today. I have my friend Amanda, and we are going to be just having a conversation about women in the church and in leadership in the church. Uh, but before we get into the conversation, I just want to hand it over to uh, Amanda for a couple minutes just to give a quick introduction of herself and who she is and what she does. Hi, guys. I'm Amanda Clark, and I'm married to a really awesome guy named Justin. We've known uh, Brandon and his wife, Nicole, for me about 16 years and Justin about 20 plus years. So it's yeah. uh, pretty cool to be able to be on the podcast with Brandon. And we live in Syracuse, Indiana. Um, we don't have any kids. Uh, we enjoy our house plants a lot in our old house. <laughs> and we, um, let's see, we, I, we work in the vineyard churches and we have for the past 15 years, we uh, have been involved in ministry that whole time. And I recently accepted a position uh, to be the lead pastor of a church in Warsaw, Indiana. 
Awesome. I'm excited for you guys. And I'm excited to talk more about that because that's very exciting news. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, so kind of like you've been involved in ministry for years, a long time uh, in diff- different aspects. Uh, so just kind of like looking back over your life and how it, like growing up, what was your own experience or the messages that you received growing up or even in adulthood? Uh, you grow like uh, about the church and women and leadership and like, what did that look like for you? Sure. Well, I grew up in a really typical traditional complementarian church, which complementarian, if you don't know that word, it just means um, a belief that like women are not to be leaders in the church. And so um, I believed that because the Bible said so. And so I, um, I didn't have any problem with that teaching. I didn't resist it. I fully embraced it. And the message was, you know, women are helpers. We don't lead. Uh, Women cannot be pastors. It's a sin for a woman to be a pastor. And that my calling in life was to get married and then to support my husband's calling. And so um, as I grew into an adult, I continued to be fine with that teaching and agreed with it passionately, would have disagreed with a person who was, you know, promoting women in leadership or women as pastors. And so I um, had, I was fully convinced of that position and then everything changed and it took a a course of time, but um, it was a really interesting journey for God to begin to change my mind and heart about that. So what was it exactly that kind of inspired you to get more involved in leadership in the church and now becoming a pastor of a church as a, as a woman, based on what you kind of were taught and grew up in? Yeah. Well, I think part of it was that I was uh, on staff at a church. It was the Vineyard Church in Syracuse. And even though I was uh, just an office manager, I was given quite a voice on the team. It's sort of a journey. I'll just tell you the journey. Um, But I was given a voice. I attended staff meetings and people, you know, listen to what I had to say. And so that started to give me confidence that maybe I had a a piece to contribute. And then um, about 10 years into our time at that church, we were invited to help uh, launch a church plant in Goshen, Indiana, and it's called The Vine. It's been going about six years. And when we planted, our plant team was really small. It was just a few couples. And so it was sort of an all hands on deck experience. Like if leadership was going to happen, if preaching was going to happen, ministry time, like that was going to have to happen with our small team. And so because of that, Justin and I both uh, immediately were on the preaching team and like regularly scheduled to preach. We had to learn how to lead people and identify and develop leaders and um, you know, pretend that we knew what we were doing, which we definitely did not. <laughs> and we just figured it out as we went. Um, and so that experience was a huge part of it. Just looking around at our small plant team of just a few couples and recognizing that the women were doing a great job, just as good as the men. And we weren't like inferior by our gender we were doing a fine job leading and so then almost simultaneously um, to the time that we like first launched Sunday services I was pursued by another vineyard pastor who's a mentor figure in my life to attend a preaching class for women 
And even though I had been preaching at my church, I was really suspicious, very reluctant. I, you know, was afraid that this woman was going to try to turn me into, you know, <laughs> an egalitarian and, you know, make me give up my faith. And uh, as I was sitting there the first night of the class, which was a preaching class for women, I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me like, it's okay, you can trust her. And so I opened up my heart to that. And I, I just learned so much in that class, but a huge part of it was um, the teacher is named Jackie Reese. She's out of Texas. And her vision is to see what she calls women be ennobled, which means to rise up into their calling and all their giftings and to feel confident in using them. Um, so not as much about empowering as ennobling them to be who they were created to be. And so that was um, huge for me to hear that message. And I also through Jackie's class learned about uh, a female scholar named Carolyn Custis James. And she's written a ton on the Azer from uh, Genesis 1 to 3. And that's the idea that God created women as a helper, which we all grew up hearing. But the word um, Azer is used of God like 16 times in the Old Testament, where it's used of women two times. And so uh, the idea is that if God has called women to be helpers, he has called them to be a helper like he is a very strong and great and powerful helper israel's defense israel's you know the one they depended on to rescue them and so azer meant something really different than a uh, sort of a sidekick that makes cookies for the luncheon and so then uh as i went on i got more comfortable with the idea of women preaching and leading I, because I was doing it. So I had to wrestle with it. And I was doing research, like um, what the hard passages of scripture have to say. And I started, I started seminary at the, you know, encouragement of my mentors, like Jackie and my friend, Ray Beefus, who had first inspired me to like take the preaching class. And through seminary, I probably did in a year, like a hundred hours of research, tons of reading, and it was so good for me to just dig in and feel really confident about what I was learning. I wasn't just making a guess. I was doing the hard exegetical work. Um, and then I listened to a podcast, a fellow podcaster seminary dropout. It's Shane Blackshear. I don't know if you know that one, but he- Do you know who that is? Yeah. Yeah. He interviewed uh, Tish Warren. Tish Harrison Warren and her husband, Jonathan, and they were talking about their journey of um, deciding that it was biblical for women to be pastors. And they had done tons of research too. And she just said, you know, you can only ever be about 80% sure. Like there is plenty of evidence in the word that would suggest that women are free to participate in every level of ministry based on their gifting and calling. But there's always going to be that part of you that's like, but did Paul really mean that for all time? And we can't 100% know. And so you can probably only ever be 80% sure. And if that can be good enough for you, then that's enough. And I told my friend that and she was like, that's awful. I don't want to be 80% sure. I want to be 100% sure. <laughs> but for me, it was enough. It was very freeing um, to say, yeah, I feel, I think I feel 80% sure. And I, I think I can stand on that. 
and so um after that then i felt like just like this my experience had just been this push from the holy spirit that's why i was so compelled to do you know all the research that i had done because i felt the holy spirit saying you need to learn you need to be able to stand on this and then after that time i felt the holy spirit say okay you've done enough research make a decision and that decision was about can a woman be the lead pastor the primary person of authority in a church and that was always a sticking point of course because of first timothy 2. and so um i i felt like yep okay i'm gonna answer this call that the holy spirit's making in my life and i got to the point where i, I wrestled it down and i said yes i think a female can be a, a lead pastor and um and have biblical confidence in that decision and so after i said yes to that it just felt like the next two years was god preparing my heart um i unexpectedly and without pursuing it at all was asked to candidate for a lead pastor position at a church nearby and i probably would not have pursued that without being asked i i guess i probably felt like i wasn't ready there was i had been doing the work of pastoring for years but I had not held that title before and certainly not lead pastor. And so I didn't, I didn't pursue that and I probably wouldn't have, but I think I look back on the last six years of my life and see all of the different ways that the Holy Spirit has been uh, pressing me and pushing me along this path, compelling me to learn. And, and I'm really grateful because um, he was definitely behind all of it. And I'm just thankful that uh, I, I received good opportunities and the Lord was gracious enough to cause me to say yes to them. Awesome. And, you know, as, as I was thinking about this talk, and I think we've talked about this before too, but, uh, you know, growing up, it wasn't ever really, for me, like it wasn't really talked about too much about women being pastors. And there were some examples or maybe they were an evangelist and like traveled and, and right, spoke. Right. Uh, <laughs> I do yeah, I do remember like specifically one time uh, somebody telling me, well, I don't know if women could be pastors, but if God has tried to call every man possible and they all say no, then then maybe a woman can do it like as a last resort. Like yeah, if nobody else can do it, then <laughs> um, but, for, but for me, like I remember I can remember specifically, uh, especially like in, around junior high, like I there were women pastors who had like an impact on my life, like whether it was just through relationship or investing in me or whatever it was, uh, you know, God used those women to, you know, along my journey, my faith journey to impact my, my heart and my life and uh, in ways that uh, men probably wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I did have some good models too. the, the vineyard, um, changed their stance on women back in 2008. And so they decided that women could lead at any level of ministry back then, which I vehemently rejected at that time. <laughs> but then I began to see females lead in the church and become pastors. And it was, yeah, it was really good for me to just see them doing it and doing it well. So as you've kind of gone on along on this journey and I've come to you know, the conclusions that you did and, and felt comfortable where you were. Have you received any pushback from people 
throughout this journey? Surprisingly very little. And I'm so grateful for that, but I'm also in a supportive community that is somewhat like-minded and I have a loving family. I can only think of a few people who probably left the church in part due to me preaching, you know, things like that. (laughs) Um, I, I would anticipate as I step into this new role of being a lead pastor that I'll probably receive more pushback. Um, I think I have people that I love very much that are choosing not to say how they feel about it. And sure. um, I hope at some point we can have that conversation. Uh, and I'm really grateful that I haven't had a ton because I've heard all of the stories of women receiving pushback at varying levels of aggression. So, <laughs> but I, I really try if I do hear comments or statements that aren't necessarily an attack on me, but just, you know, something I would totally disagree with. I try not to be upset or angry about it because I was there like seven years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I still remember how it felt to me that if I gave an inch in that area, it was going to be, you know, me um, denying the authority of the word Uh, abandoning the Bible, you know, and so I, I had to do a lot of work to wrestle that out. And I know that the people, for the most part, who read 1 Timothy 2.16 very literally and without context, um, are just trying to obey the Bible. And I used to feel the exact same way. So I, yeah, I, I think I, I also have had an easier path. There's a lot of women who've gone before me that had to fight to get anywhere. And I'm, I'm standing on their shoulders and I'm grateful for that. So kind of like leading into that, like what would you say to people who are kind of criticizing, uh, not even necessarily exactly what you're doing, but just say like, things like, you know, women in leadership in the church isn't biblical. And, you know, this isn't how God designed women to, to work, that they're supposed to be helpmates with their husband. And, you know, uh, what, what is something or several things that you would say to people who would be criticizing this? Yeah. Well, um, in the research I've done for the complementarian argument, there's, um, a a lot of it that's based out of Genesis. And so in my study of Genesis, particularly through the work of Carolyn Custis James in a book that she wrote called Half the Church, um, she is just explaining how the creation mandate that God gave to rule and subdue was a mandate for both male and female. It was before the fall. And God told both of them to, um, you know, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. And um, that was, that was a mandate for both of them, which mean to cause flourishing upon the earth to show the world what God looks like. And so um, my belief is that the curse of Genesis three, which, which is where um, God says, you know, you will to the woman, like you'll want to, um, you know, oh shoot, I can't remember the exact words, but your desire will be to kind of control your husband, but he will rule over you. I believe that that um, and the ensuing patriarchy that happened, which is the backdrop of the whole Bible, was a, a result and a consequence of sin, but not God's original intention. Yeah. And so 
what's really interesting when I studied it is that um, it, all throughout church history, the, the church fathers, they all just believed that women were actually ontologically inferior, that they were not um, made the same as men, that they were inferior in the fabric of their being to men. And uh, even some of them believed that women were not made in God's image. And uh, after, after, you know, probably like the 50s or something, scholars had to say like, well, no, that's not true. We know that women are made in the image of God and they are not ontologically inferior. But it's really, uh, that is when, when they decided, okay, we can't say that women are inferior. Then the argument shifted to, well, Adam was made first and he was given authority to name the animals. And that's why, um, that's why men are called to be leaders and not women. And even Paul backs this up because he says in first Timothy two, you know, well, Adam, first Adam was made and then, the, and then Eve, then the woman. But whatever Paul meant in that statement, um, I can't believe that the fact that Adam was born first meant that men are to be the leaders in um, the world for all of time. And one of the reasons for that, that Carolyn Custis James points out is that over and over when we read the Old Testament, we see where normally the firstborn should have received the privilege and the power in the family or in the relationship. God actually denied, uh, denied that and chose the other sibling, the lesser sibling. So Jacob and Esau, David being chosen, even though he wasn't even close to being the first and that we see that happen over and over. And so um, I don't think it's a very strong argument for why men are called to be leaders. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> and then uh, also there's first Timothy 2.16, I do not permit a woman to lead or have a, a, or to teach or have authority over a man. So there's a couple different things about that um, passage that well, actually more than a couple, there's like tons of books written on this subject alone on one single verse and dissecting every word. But a couple things I want to point out about that passage. Um, and a lot of this I learned from a professor at my school named Nijay Gupta and some others that I'll mention along the way. But um, many scholars think that, that this was a situation of false teachers infiltrating the church and specifically targeting women, especially women that um, maybe were widows and had a lot of time on their hands. Additionally, uh, he was writing to Timothy in Ephesus, and Ephesus was the hometown of the goddess Artemis or Diana, and there was like a female cult to the goddess that was in town, and it taught that women were superior to men, and um, it was probably having an influence in the church, not just that women were equal to men, but that they were superior and there were some other implications of that, like encouraging women to not have children, which might be why um, Paul brings up women being saved by childbirth, which we know he cannot mean literally, or sure. I myself would not be able to be saved since I'm childless. And so uh, there's just probably a lot going on there that the text gives us little hints about. And then the biggest one is that the word authority, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority. That word authority, um, when scholars looked at that word in like contemporary Greek documents of that time, it appears 
maybe seven to 12 times. But the, the regular word for authority is found a couple thousand times. And so that tells us that the word that Paul used for authority is an extremely rare word. And he could have just used the normal word. He used the normal word for authority lots of other times. And so many scholars suspect that if Paul used this rare word, there was something specific going on, some way in which women were um, usurping authority or trying to um, overrule men, something specific going on that Paul was addressing that it was not a mandate for all time. And my mentor, Jackie Reese, she points out too that later on in the same passage, it says, let the women learn in quietness and submission. And so Paul's actually encouraging the women to receive biblical training and and Jackie says that in that time, that if you were given the privilege of learning, it was expected that later you would teach in some setting. So actually the women were being encouraged to learn so that later they could teach God's word. And then if you'd like step away from that, uh, one of the big ones for me, and this is the last uh, example I'll give. In Romans 16, Paul ends the chapter uh, greeting a whole bunch of different people. And um, about half the names on that list are females. And in, in antiquity, if you were writing an official letter that was, you know, in this case, going to be read to like a whole group of churches, you wouldn't specifically state someone's name unless they were important, unless they were serving in an official capacity in leadership or, you know, maybe the house church was in their home, something like that. And the fascinating thing is, and I learned this from um, Philip Payne, who wrote a, a really thick book called Man and Women, um, One in Christ. And he was pointing out that he studied like other documents and letters of antiquity. And there is no other letter in antiquity that mentions that many women by name. And so to me, if Paul did that, and it was a radical and unheard of, those women were not just friends that something was going on with them they were leading in some way they had some capacity in the church and so that one has always really stuck out to me um yeah and there's like tons and tons and tons more but i think i'll i'll stop there <laughs> no that's great i think that's a great uh examples and a great starting point because there are you know if you look not even just through the new testament but old testament as well you can see women in leadership positions over and over and over again that God used in, in those times. So, you know, I think that's a great starting point for anybody who wants to dig into this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, my, my professor, Scott McKnight, um, he just said, always says, look at what women actually are doing in the Bible. Mm. And that should be our example. Yeah, that's good. So I uh, just thinking through this, if say there's uh somebody listening that is, you know, even a teenage girl or a young woman, or even a woman who is in thirties, forties or, or whatever, like they're just going through this journey as well. And they've been so far been told or been maybe not directly told, but in, in, uh, it's kind of been insinuated to them that, you know, you can be in charge of the nursery. You can be a receptionist at the church, uh, you know, 
which neither one of those things are obviously bad things, but uh, those are a lot of, this like two of many examples that women kind of get pigeonholed when it comes to church involvement. Um, but say they feel like they're supposed to do more, they want to do more. Uh, what is advice, some advice that you would give to uh, any of these girls or women that are listening and feel called to ministry um, as a leader in the church? Yeah, well, um, again, referencing Carolyn Custis James in her book, Half the Church, the argument of that book is that half the church is limping uh, or the church is limping rather when half the church is holding back because they don't believe that they're allowed or called into ministry. And so her argument is just like the kingdom of God cannot afford to have the church limping and half the church holding back from using their gifts because the battle that we're up against is too great for only half of us to be doing the work. And so my encouragement would just be press in as hard as you can. If you have any sense that you're a leader, take every opportunity you can to learn what that means. Even if you have to do it, say, if you're in high school, in a school environment, learn how to lead take any opportunity that you can. And if you aren't given an opportunity, see if you can press into one, see if you can just volunteer to do something and see if they'll let you do it, go as far as you can go. And then at some point, if you've pressed in as much as you can and it's just not going anywhere and you are truly not being um, you know, permitted or given opportunity to do anything beyond children's ministry or, um, you know, cooking food or something, then you'd need to pray and ask God if, if you need to leave that church that you're in and find one that will bless and encourage your gifts. Because sometimes God asks us to stay and be a light in the place that we're at. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves if we're being good stewards of the gifts that God's given us, because we are going to be held accountable for the ways that we use what God's given us. And so if it's just impossible for you to use your gifts in the church you're in, it's time to pray and ask God if, if you should find a different church uh, because the body of Christ needs all of us working, pressing into our gifts. I think maybe when you earlier asked me what, what inspired you, you know, to press into to leadership as a woman, when I was reading Carolyn's book, Half the Church, there was this part where she just said, um, all my life, I've been told that men do all the work and we just help them. And when I started pressing into this and learning, um, I couldn't believe how much God expected of me. And I just realized that I myself had been holding back my whole life too, thinking that it wasn't right for me to um, use my gifts, use my skills. And actually I was in some ways being disobedient to God if I refused to step into what I knew he was calling me into. And so that was a game changer for me. And I, I hope that you will feel the Holy Spirit um, compelling you to ask that same question of yourself. No, it's good. Um, so uh, a lot of really good information, a lot of great starting points for people, uh, regardless of whether they're men or women that want to understand this better. Uh, but if you're okay with it, is there a way, like if somebody has any questions or want to know more about like your story or what you're doing or how you got to where you are, uh, is there a way that they can like reach out to you either through social media or email? Yeah, absolutely. Would you like me to give you those or? Do yeah, you... go ahead. 
Okay. I can be found on Facebook and my full name, Amanda Joy Clark. My Instagram name is Amanda X and O. And my email is amanda.joy.clark1 at gmail. Awesome. Thank you. And then one last question before we go. And because yeah. this is the brood life, uh, what is your drink of choice when you visit a coffee place? Oh, well, I live in a very small town and we are in a coffee desert. And so <laughs> it's really difficult to find a coffee shop that has um, coffee that I like drinking. It's just true snobbery. I'm going to totally own it. Preaching <laughs> to the choir. <laughs> so Justin and I, we uh, make AeroPress at home. And then I, if I am going to get a drink out, it's going to be an Americano. Unless I can go to a really good coffee shop, which there is one uh, close in a town about 30 minutes away. I'll get a latte if it's like really good coffee, but yes. otherwise Americanos. <laughs> yep. Americanos always my go-to too, yep. because it's hard to mess it up. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> awesome. Well, th thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I think that this is uh, going to be a great conversation for a lot of people to listen to. I sure hope so. Thank you so much for asking me to be on the show. Of course. Thanks again for listening to the today's episode of The Brood Life. Uh, I hope that you guys really enjoyed that conversation with Amanda and that you got something out of it and feel free to go check out all those different uh, resources and books that she mentioned and just dig in a little bit more and, you know, either educate yourself or uh, come away with a different perspective maybe, but I, I really encourage you to go out and just uh, use those resources that she gave and, and see if you can uh, learn more and, and learn a different perspective than maybe the one that you have or the one that you've always been taught. So, uh, if you enjoyed this and you feel like somebody else would enjoy this conversation, uh, please feel free to uh, share this with them through text message, through uh, Facebook, Instagram, sharing it. Uh, you can find us on social media at face under Facebook and Instagram uh, at the Brood Life Podcast. Uh, and please go out to your favorite podcasting platform and you can uh, like us there, subscribe, rate, and review, and get this out to anybody and everybody that you feel that would uh, benefit from these conversations that we're having. Thanks again for listening to today's episode, and I will talk to you next time on The Brood Life. <laughs>